0: Well, if you would, open up your Bibles or electronic device that has a Bible on it. We are in the little book of 2 Thessalonians. It's fall break for colleges, and so we have uh, Iwo students here. We have Taylor students here. We have Grace students here. We have all of these awesome schools that are represented, and I just think it's amazing. Cedarville's in the house, I know, too, as well. Uh, What? And Manchester there's, there's so many of you that are here. We should have um, a dodgeball tournament to see what school is the best. <laughs> I will bring every student I know uh, from Grace College. I'm just saying that, that would happen. Just kidding. We're glad that you guys are here. And from uh, fall break, we do pray for our students, uh, whether they're at Christian schools or secular schools, that you continue to be a, a light for Christ on campus. Don't forget the gospel that you have received and the mission field that is entrusted to your care. We do pray for you guys uh, often. Um, so if I missed your school, don't get mad at me. All right. Jordan.muck at gmail.com. Just send it all in there. All right. Second Thessalonians chapter two is where we're at. Um, It is interesting with everything transpiring with Israel and everything that is happening in our world, we look out often and uh, we find ourselves in kind of this ever-changing world. And we wrestle with some of this stuff, right, with some of these uncertainties and some of these things that are transpiring in our world, and we have some confusion in regards to the future, uh, my head just personally is is kind of spinning because uh, we're studying 1 Kings in the nine o'clock hour, and then we're uh, also studying 2 Thessalonians. It's going to hit on prophecy. And then just to, you know, icing on the cake, I was at a prophecy conference two weeks ago, And it was three days long. Um, I I didn't attend in person. Uh, It was in California. I wanted to, uh, but I didn't make that. And uh, just had the opportunity to hear um, one of my professors uh, speak on end times. And it it is a fascinating study. But at the same time, it is a fruitful study. And oftentimes we run away from prophecy when we should run towards prophecy. Because the more we spend in some of these beautiful prophetical books... The more answers we get about what's transpiring in our world. So don't run away from those little minor prophets, the major prophets. Uh, Don't run away from books like Revelation or 2 Thessalonians. You can understand it. Uh, The book of Revelation is simply a letter to the church. It's not confusing. Um, If you read it and you study it, uh, the Holy Spirit who dwells within you, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, gives us the opportunity to know things. He's the great teacher. So study your word. It's there for a reason. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1 through 12, contains some truths that are found nowhere else in Scripture, and they also give us a little bit of a key to unpacking some of these other passages that are some of the tricky texts in whether it be the Old Testament or the New Testament. And Paul has a message, a main message here in the text, uh, about a doctrinal error that was going on in regards to this little local church, this church made up of believers that are gathered in Thessalonica and they're striving to live out the gospel and all of a sudden the false teachers are coming in and they're kind of whispering in their ear about something that is going on in regards to the study of eschatology. Eschatology just makes people who teach at colleges sound smart. It is the study of last things or end things. These teachers crept into the church. They were wolves in sheep's clothing. And so Paul writes about this doctrinal error. And he says, this is how you can solve it practically. The error is just as much for the Thessalonian church as it is for community gospel. And then in chapter 3, he's going to talk about some problems that grow out of unsound doctrine. So let's look at verse 1 in verse, or chapter 2. So big numbers are going to be the chapters. Smaller numbers are going to be the verses. And in verse 1, it says, now concerning... The coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's the ESV translation of that text. You may have the day of the Lord. So let's give some background on the day of the Lord. What is the day of the Lord and why is it important? Well, the day of the Lord is a period that is spoken about repeatedly in the Old Testament. And it's not a day in regards to a 24-hour day. It is a day meaning a period of time. This is when God will bring both judgment and blessing on the people of earth. The prophet Isaiah talks about it a little bit in Isaiah 13. And that little book that everybody ignores, Zephaniah, he talks about it in the very first chapter. In the New Testament... We believe that this period starts after the rapture of the church. Now, some of us are going to have maybe a little bit different opinions in regards to what we're talking about today. That's okay. I would love to talk to you about why I'm right and you're wrong later. Just kidding. I'll give you to one of my other colleagues at Grace. He can do a better job than I would unpacking that. But we look at the Bible and we realize that there is a rapture of the church. And at the rapture of the church, Jesus comes back. That's the second coming of Christ. We have a first advent. That's when Christ came, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? Those are the gospel accounts. The first advent, first coming of Jesus Christ, where he is God Emmanuel, God with us. And then we have the second advent, where Jesus comes back again, and he takes the church. That would be the believers. So you have big C church, and you have small C church. Big C Church is all of the believers, those who have confessed with their mouth and believed in their hearts that Jesus Christ is Lord. That is the church. That's the global church. Small C Church is the local church, the assembly that we're in today, of believers who are gathered to worship. So God comes back, he takes Big C Church, Jesus comes back, takes Big C Church, and then that ushers in this time of tribulation or the millennium. And what we see in that time of tribulation, there's three and a half years that are really good because people are being deceived by what we call the Antichrist. We'll get to him in just a second. And then he breaks all the promises that he made with people, and we see three and a half bad years, and then we see the entrance of Christ's millennial kingdom. Don't get lost. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul, that would be the letter before 2 Thessalonians, Paul tells the believers that the day of the Lord, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 2, will come like a thief in the night. It will come quickly. Some people thought Jesus was actually going to come at night. Um, But Paul says he's going to come quickly. And we were having a conversation in in my house uh, with one of my daughters. And she said, uh, when Christ comes, won't everybody know that Christ was the one that took all these people away? And I said, no, there's these things called conspiracy theories. And there will be so many of them. You think there's some now. There will be a lot later. Later. And people will explain away. They'll say there's aliens. They will say, "Uh, no, uh, COVID did it. (laughs) They'll say anything that they can to essentially make or justify their own opinions seem real. And now the Thessalonian believers were wondering, because of what had crept into the church, if the day of the Lord had already come. Many of them were experiencing what seemed to be Persecutions that the prophets predicted concerning God's people and his judgment. And so they were wondering, did Jesus already come back? Did we miss it? I don't know about you, but I was like that when I was a kid. I was like, I hope Jesus doesn't come back. So I accepted Jesus into my heart like 17 times a day. I didn't want to miss it. I woke up in the morning, I thought, man, is, is it, did he come? We still actually do this in our house if we can't find anyone, right? We're like, see, I'm like, Bethany, if I can't find her, I'm like, Jesus, I know she goes, I go. (laughs) And so the Thessalonians wondered, did we miss it? To make matters worse, you have all of these false teachers who said to the believers, you are experiencing the judgment of God by the day of the Lord. You're experiencing this great tribulation. And that was untrue. Because Paul told them previously in the first letter, you'll be caught up and you'll escape God's wrath that is coming on the earth. And so that's why Paul writes 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. He wants to straighten out the matter. And he doesn't just want to straighten out the matter. He says, I want to prepare you or help you prepare for the last days. Because we're living in the last days. So how do we prepare for the last days? And what does that look like for us? And what are we to know? Well, let's look at the second part of verse 1. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together with him. What a day of rejoicing that will be. We ask you, brothers and sisters, to not be so quickly shaken in your mind or alarmed. Church, stop watching the news. You are so shaken and alarmed in your minds. Stop. Hold on a second. You're grounded in good theology either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us. Plagiarism existed way back then, college students. To the effect of the day of the Lord has come. Now pause here for a second. What Paul's saying in those first two verses is, we are not there yet, but we're getting closer every single day. The coming in verse 1 is the word presence. And the presence of Christ and the believers that are going to be gathered to him is a reference to the rapture. So if you're taking notes in your Bible, you could write in the margins, this is the rapture. Paul asks believers to not be afraid of the day of the Lord as many theories have risen up. Now, there's three big theories that pop up. Number one, there was by a spirit. This is funny because this still happens and transpires in our day. How many times have you heard somebody say, God told me? If you look at me and say, God told me, I am immediately cautious. Because I don't know if God told you or your tacos from Taco Tuesday told you. It is funny how many people love to speak or be a mouthpiece for the Lord, but don't have scripture to back up what they say. And that's what's happening and transpiring here. Paul's saying, first of all, people are saying, God told them. Second of all, we're still in verses 1 and 2, by a spoken word or gossip. So gossip is still very prevalent. People were talking to another person. Well, I heard, well, I heard it's the same lie from the Garden of Eden. When uh, God comes and he asks uh, Adam and Eve, he says, you said you were naked and you're ashamed. Who told you that? Where did you hear that from? Who told you those words? Paul's saying very similar things here. Who told you this? Number three, there were fake letters, a letter seeming to be from us. No wonder believers were shaken. They had people saying that God told them, they had spoken words, which were gossip, and they had fake letters, fake news, all the way back in the New Testament. And so, what were they supposed to do? They were shaken. These were young believers. These were men and women who had just trusted Christ trying to live out the gospel, tell people about uh, how lost they were, and they could be found and encourage the brothers and sisters in Christ. They were trying to declare the day of the Lord. And then all of a sudden people are looking at him and saying, no, you're in it. But if this were so, believers then would have wondered, how could Paul speak of the Lord's return as coming before the day of the Lord? That's 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. Also, what about those promises in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10, that they would not see the wrath of God? It seems clear here that Paul is speaking of a pre-tribulation rapture. In other words, God is going to send Jesus, second advent, and he's going to take his believers, and he's going to wrap them into his arms, and he's saying, you are not going to be a part of this tribulation. Now, here's the hard thing. Much confusion comes because the Thessalonians and us today They cannot separate their present troubles from those of the day of the Lord. What they're struggling with is we're being persecuted for our faith. And Paul is saying persecution for your faith is way different than the full judgment of God. If you're being persecuted for your faith, you're going to have problems. That's inevitable. But the judgment of the Lord is a whole different story. So Paul says you're having problems differentiating between the two. That's where the confusion comes. Okay, so they're like, okay, Paul, we got that. We get it. So what should we look for? He says, well, verse three. Let's look at that very first part. He says, let no one deceive you in any way. For that day will not come. Remember the day of the Lord. This is the time period. It won't come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness. Every time I read that this week, for whatever reason, I heard dun, dun, dun. (laughs) is revealed the son of destruction. What he's saying here is he's saying, get ready for this thing called apostasy and lawlessness. This is what you should be on guard or look out for. Now, Paul never wanted believers to be deceived in any way. Isn't that amazing? He never wanted them to be deceived. Paul pens one-third of the New Testament because he has such a great understanding of the Old Testament truth. He's a Pharisee among Pharisees who repented of his sin and comes to know uh, Jesus Christ as Savior. And he puts Jesus in the Old Testament text for the New Testament saints. And he doesn't want them to be deceived. He teaches them. He says, I don't want you to be deceived any way No matter how credible somebody appears to be, by the way, if somebody starts throwing down their credentials before they give you an answer, be concerned. I've never gone to a doctor before and he looks at me and says, hey, Jordan, see all my degrees up there? All right, now let's talk about your illness. Matter of fact, if you do that, I'm instantly cautious, right? So what Paul says here, he's saying some of these people are coming in claiming to be credible and they're not credible at all. They claim to have God's authority. God told me they don't have God's authority because they don't line up with Scripture. We already talked about that a couple weeks ago. New believers tend to be gullible because they're not grounded in the truths of Scripture. Same is true with us as a church. You could look at it and say, well, that's true for new believers. It's the same for older believers as well. When you fail to be grounded in God's word, knowing it, having it impressed upon the truths of your heart, You get into big problems. The second we shelf our Bibles and say, I already know, that's when we get into big problems. And so that's when we get deceived. So here, Paul says, I don't want you to be gullible. I want you to be grounded in the truths of Scripture. And remember that all believers can be misled. The enemy, the devil, prowls around like a lion, seeking to devour. So therefore, the antidote to poisonous heresy is a good, strong dose of the truth. This is the truth. Paul says, here are three events that are going to occur before the full judgment of the day of the Lord takes place. Now, look at the second part of verse 3. This is apostasy. He says the rebellion comes first or the falling away. Apostasia is the Greek word where we get our English word apostasy. What does he mean by that? This is a revolt or a departure or an abandoning of one's position. Church, there are many people who claim to be believers, who verbally have even professed Jesus Christ as Savior. But in their heart, they have not received the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in the end days, what will happen is people who look doctrinally sound will renounce that position and will cling to false doctrinal truth. It is happening today. This is transpiring today. There are many quote unquote theologians that were respected for years who are now in evangelical circles, renouncing their position and saying, we are going to a different doctrine. We are committing apostasy. We are abandoning our position. They are being revealed for not being true believers. Now, we look at that and we say, oh, good, sign of the end times. This has been going on since day one. Paul writes about uh, a couple guys in the end of his letters who have deceived them. Who have abandoned their positions. But Paul said this time it will be very specific. And we will be able to distinguish apostasy in a way that we never have been able to before. And he already told the Thessalonians about it. If you jump down, I know we're in verse 3, but look at verse 5. He says, do you not remember that when I was with you, I told you these things? I wish we could have heard that conversation, but we didn't. So obviously there was some sort of dialogue that took place. Now, our job as believers is to keep our attention focused on the fact that Christ will come again, but also seeing when people turn from God's truth to worship The man of lawlessness. Well, who's that? Well, that's the second thing that Paul talks about in regards to the events that will occur before the judgments of the day of the Lord. People will abandon their positions. They will say they're Christians. They'll abandon that. And then this man of lawlessness, look at verse 3, will come. He will be revealed. He is the son of destruction. He opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship. So that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Verse 5. Don't you remember that, uh, those things when I told you when I was with you? Now jump down to verse 8. And then the lawless one, when he is revealed, whom the Lord Jesus, he will kill him. Yes! Praise the Lord! That's kind of awesome. I get excited about that. With the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. So apostasies, first and foremost, then second thing is the revealing of the man of lawlessness. So we talked about trials and tribulations in Israel and all those things transpiring, right? We talked about that. What are we looking for with all of that drama that is going on overseas? We're looking for one man. What happens is this man of lawlessness. Now, this is capital A for those of you who are taking notes in your Bible. This is the Antichrist. Capital A, Antichrist, one specific person. Anyone who is against God is an Antichrist. Okay? They are against Christ. This is one person. He will come into the world scene at the beginning of the day of the Lord. He will oppose the living God and his law in every way, he will be completely lawless. People will love him. He will be charismatic, he will grab people's attention. He will be a swift talker. He will make all the promises. He is a politician through and through. The Antichrist will oppose and exalt himself against every so-called God or object of worship. Now, I think for the first three and a half years, the Bible speaks to the fact that he's going to be very well liked. He's going to make all these promises. People are going to cling to him after three and a half years. Now, we're going to be gone for this. Uh, he will take that seat in the temple of God, claiming to be God, and he'll break all those promises. Now, you're probably asking yourself, like, where where else is that in Scripture? Well, you remember when you were in Sunday school or children's church or whatever the case is, and you studied the first six chapters of Daniel, and you thought to yourself, I'm going to go home and study the rest of Daniel, and you got to verse 7, you're like, I'm not going to study the rest of Daniel. (laughs) Daniel chapter 7 is where the Antichrist is said to be a boastful king. Verse 11 Who will try to change the set times and laws? He will offer false peace to the world with his charismatic personality. Any slippery, snake like politician who enters into this world where people love him is a red flag for me. He will make incredible promises, he will even do breathtaking miracles. He will unite all the nations politically. He'll unite all the nations economically. All the religions will be under his leadership. And he will make a covenant with Israel for three and a half years. He has a coexist sticker on his bumper. That's him. (laughs) He will break that covenant, Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. He will stop Israel's sacrifices. He'll enter the temple and he'll set himself up as a god. And he will demand to be worshiped. And people will do it. In Mark chapter 13, if you want to make a note in 2 Thessalonians, Mark chapter 13 verse 14, this is exactly what Jesus talks about when he talks about the abomination that causes desolation. It's exactly what he talks about. The Antichrist is a man doomed to destruction. Revelation chapter 13, verse 1 through 10 says he is a beast that comes out of the sea. He opposes salvation and he is destined to everlasting torment. You do not need to be afraid of him. You do not need to be afraid of this man. Paul tells the Thessalonians all of these things and reminds them again because they're like sheep. They've gone astray. He says, cling to scripture, don't follow false teachings, and do not leave the way. The way is what believers called themselves in the New Testament. We follow Jesus' way. We ride the dust of the rabbi. So that's two things, all right? So apostasy is going to come. Get ready for that. Revealing of the man of lawlessness. Get ready for that. And then six, he says, let's talk about this removal of restraint against lawlessness. And you know, verse six, what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of the lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. We read verse 8, so I'm not going to read it again. The third event is the removal or restraint against the Antichrist. Verse 6 says, he will be revealed in his time. It seems as if Paul elaborated on this earlier, but he's summarizing, giving the information that he already gave in person. We know three things for sure. Number one, and you should amen this, lawlessness is already at work, right? It's already there. It's already happening. It's already transpiring. We can already see that. Watch the news. (laughs) Two, it's a mystery to what's holding him back. Perhaps it's the Holy Spirit. We don't know for sure. The Holy Spirit could be the one who is restraining him right now. We don't know why he's held back, but he is held back. Three, we know he will be destroyed by Christ. And so Paul's major message here is that the Antichrist may control mankind, but he'll be no match for our Messiah. Our Messiah will be victorious. Now, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. If you read that, it says, And then the lawless one will be revealed, starting, ushering in the day of the Lord, whom Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth, all that other stuff. He elaborates on this. This is a summary. Verse 8 is a, sum- is a summary because essentially... He is covering in one verse the seven-year career of the Antichrist from the time he makes a covenant with Israel soon after the rapture until the overthrow by Christ at his second coming at the end of the tribulation. Don't get lost, all right? That's in Revelation. You have Jesus coming back, starting of seven years, tribulation, then Jesus comes back again and he sets up his millennial kingdom, all right? So that's what Paul is saying here. Now, uh, Commentator Hibbert says, The glorified Jesus, this is what you need to know because we get lost sometimes in prophecy and prophetic words. This is the message. The glorified Jesus will slay the lawless one like the, bee, like the blast of a fiery furnace. That's good news. You do not need to be afraid of him. He will be destroyed. When Jesus comes to earth, he will stop the Antichrist's efforts just like he did to Saul on the road to Damascus. But this time, there'll be no chance for salvation. Now, this comes up a couple times. People have this, this, this thought. They say, okay, Jordan, um, we as believers, Jesus comes back for us. He raptures the church. He takes us with us. In those seven years, can you come to know Jesus in that time? Can you come to trust Christ as your Savior? I would say, I don't know, but I wouldn't bank on it. I mean, if you know this is going to happen, you should trust Christ, Right? There's been a couple people in my life, they said, well, I'll just wait until Jesus comes back, and then I'll know for sure that he's back, and then I'll trust Christ. I wouldn't want to live through those seven years, first and foremost. Second of all, that's dumb. Third of all, what if you die before it happens? Well, now you're really in trouble. So the key is, trust Christ, right? Now, what's funny is the world will be worshiping the Antichrist. They will believe that he has all the power and authority when suddenly out of heaven will ride Christ. I think God's favorite animal is a horse. The king of kings, the Lord of lords with an army of angels. And his entrance will signal the end of all the false powers. The question is, whose army are you going to be in? Now, some people look at that and they say, well, I'd rather party in hell with my friends than be in heaven with Jesus. Hell's no party. Like, this is the absence of grace that is given to us by God. So whose side are you going to be on? So, verse 9. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all the power and the false signs and the wonders and all the wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and to be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. That's a hard passage of scripture. Paul's closing words, our church, do not be deceived. Thessalonians 1, and then moving into the church gathered at Community Gospel. There's three closing truths here. Look at this. Number one, verse 9 and Revelation 13. He will be empowered by Satan. The Antichrist will use Satan's methods of counterfeiting, false signs and wonders. He will perform powerful miracles that will be evident to all, that he has supernatural power, and people will stand in awe of him. This is why I don't watch the religious channel just straight up. There's so many people who are out there performing signs and miracles. I'm I'm cautious. I'm not saying that God doesn't perform signs and miracles. I'm just saying he runs a little bit more covert than Satan does. And when it's not attached to anything doctrinally sound, then I'm really cautious. One such miracle and the people's awe are mentioned in Revelation chapter 13 verse 3. Where he says, I saw one of the heads of the beast seem wounded beyond recovery, but the fatal wound was healed. The whole world marveled at this miracle and gave allegiance to the beast. There are things that are going to happen and transpire where people are going to look at it and they're going to say, that's of God, when really it's not of God at all. And they will follow into these lies. Be careful about that which is empowered by Satan. Sometimes we think that which is biblical and grounded is not biblical and grounded because it doesn't really have any root in Scripture or the gospel that we have received. So that's the first warning there. Paul elaborates on that in verse 10. He says, everything the Antichrist does will be misleading. Look at his words. He says, especially to those who refuse to love the truth and be saved. Not everything the Antichrist does will be perceived as evil. However, it will misrepresent the truth and it will lead people away from God. 90% of the truth and a 10% lie is still heresy. It's interesting. Now, here's where, here's where the Bible really gets kind of neat, right? If you look at verse 10, the same three words are used to describe the Antichrist's miracles... In verse 9, 9 and 10, you see miracles, signs, and wonders. Now, what's really interesting there is those same three words was how Jesus' ministry and the apostles' ministry was defined. So you have three camps. You have camp one, that's Jesus. He did miracles, signs, and wonders. Camp two, you have apostles, miracles, signs, and wonders. That's in Acts 2.22. It's in Hebrews chapter 2. So it will appear to unbelievers living on the earth at the time of the Antichrist that it is indeed God. They'll even use our scripture. They'll say, look, Jesus did signs, miracles, and wonders. The apostles did signs, miracles, and wonders. This guy does signs, miracles, and wonders. That guy's signs, miracles, and wonders are different than Christ's signs, miracles, and wonders, and the apostles signs, miracles, and wonders. So you got to be able to distinguish the two of them. See how close it looks? See how close it looks? You have to beware. Why? Because 11 and 12 says God will give people over. God's desire is that every person come to a relationship with him through faith in Christ. But he knows that's not a reality. When people refuse to entertain the truth. Now this is scary, church. This is so scary. When I look at this passage of scripture, I think to myself, whoa, this is thick. When people refuse to entertain the truth, God lets them pursue and experience the consequences of falsehood. God, as the judge of men, begins this judgment at the moment of man's rebellion. He lets, as Paul says, this powerful delusion come from humanity choosing error over truth. This is why, church, straight up. This is why kids come to know the Lord fast. This is why adults are so slow to the acceptance of the gospel. Because they've spent years hardening their hearts. A kid is so impressionable. Jesus died on the cross for my sin. Check. Love that. I want that. They impress the truth of Scripture upon their heart because they are impressionable. Adults, we look at it, we're like old dogs, don't get taught new tricks. We get set in our ways. And what Paul's saying here is, he's saying the path towards condemnation is very slippery and downhill. It happens little by little by little by little. Now, how does it happen? Follow the text. He says, it begins with a fascination with evil. Church, we got to be so careful what fascinates us. Our ministerial, the group of guys who are around this area who pastor free churches, we're reading a book next year called "Awe" by Paul David Tripp. And it's all about the awe and adoration of God, being fascinated with what God is fascinated with, being being overwhelmed with what God is overwhelmed with because we realize that our fascination sometimes can wander away from the things of God. And if we're constantly fascinated with the things of God, then our drip, little by little, will be for him and not for the enemy. You watch this in people's lives. Some people are fascinated with evil. This is why we don't talk about Satan a whole lot. I don't want to give him any credit. He doesn't, he doesn't get in here. We're talking about Jesus. Matter of fact, same conversation Wednesday night. I'm talking to my daughter about this. She's asking question after question after question about Satan. I, I just kept looking at her. I said, Jesus wins. In the end, he's dead. She's like, but what about this? And what about this? What about this? I was like, Slade, fire, torment, hell, awesome. We win. <laughs> she goes, you keep talking about believers. I'm like, yeah, because that's what Paul does. He wants them to be fascinated with the truths of God. So he says, first of all, it begins with the fascination of evil, it leads to the acceptance of lies, and then a rejection of the truth. There may be many powerful delusions that lead people into evil, and that's why it's accepted and even enjoyed. We look at it, we say, how could people be fascinated with evil? it's, It's fun. We look at that and say, this is fun, but it's not. It leads to frustration when you find out what it truly is. In disobedience, people's hearts are hardened against God and his word, and they don't feel any need for it either. So Paul says, church, you got to be aware. And so to sum everything up, okay, Paul reminds the Thessalonians and us today that trials and persecutions that you're experiencing, go back to chapter 1, verse 4. Therefore, we ourselves... Paul, this is Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Boast, excuse me, about you in the churches of God for what? The fact that you're steadfast in your faith. We also boast in the fact that you are, while being persecuted and in affliction and enduring that, still living on point for the gospel. Beloved church, first and foremost, just let me let me let me just let you know this: we're not we haven't missed the rapture. <laughs> Okay? Jesus is still coming back again soon. Before the judgments of the day of the Lord will come, certain events have to transpire first. So be on the lookout for apostasy, those who are turning away from the truths of God. Be very, very, very alert to this one person that is coming who is very charismatic. Be very careful of these political figures. Be very careful attaching yourself to political figures. You be careful with that. Make sure that you don't take Jesus off the throne and put somebody else on top of it. We need to be careful with that. And be very, very careful with not being fascinated with that which is evil. To pursue the things of God takes discipline. And to run after the things of man can be done very quickly without any concern. So what Paul says here is, he says, Since these events haven't transpired, we're not experiencing the judgments accompanying the day of the Lord. So you continue to be faithful, be obedient, make Christ known. No matter what happens and transpires in your world. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Paul's words to the Thessalonians. What an encouragement to know about the great day of the Lord that we haven't missed that that there will come a day when the trumpets will sound and you will come and you will rapture your church and you'll take us in your arms and you'll remove us from the judgment that you have for the wicked. We look for it and long for that day. We know we're not there yet, but we're getting closer. And we see it all over the place. We see people who claim to be Christians renouncing their position, revealing the true status of their heart, and we're often pulled in their direction, and we think to ourselves, maybe we should go with them. Maybe they're right. And God, we ask that you would help us to cling to the truth of your word and not run after lawlessness, but realize in discipline, in system, and in structure, there's security for us. Help us, God, not to be deceived. Help us to realize that which is empowered by the devil, that which deceives us, and help us to be overcomers, to be more than conquerors, as your word says, in our relationship with you. If you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with God through faith in Christ, you are on the wrong team. God calls us into a beautiful relationship with him through faith in Christ In John 3, 16, it says, For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus is not a condemnation. He is a salvation. We place our faith and trust in him and in him alone. So many people sit in churches so many Sundays and think I'm a Christian because they're good people. But God's word says we're not good people. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And for the wages of that sin, it is death. And the offering is Jesus. So if you're here today or maybe you're listening online. And you don't have a relationship with God through faith and trust in Christ. Confess your sins. Believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says you will be saved. You will become a child of God. And Lord, there's so many of us in this room who are believers. We've done that. We've confessed our sin and trusted in Christ. We're staking ground on that. But for some of us, we're very apologetic when it comes to the sins of this world. And we look at some of those things that transpire and we say, well, Lord, it's not that bad. We dance around with sin, God. And I pray that you would help us to remove ourselves from places where sin is running rampant. And we would give reasons for that. And that you would help us give an answer for the hope that we have. And God, sometimes we think that it's going to cost us so much earthly. And it could. It totally could. But oh, the eternal rewards for you looking at us and saying, job well done, my faithful servant. May your church suffer for the gospel. May we suffer for the truth that so many saints have died for, that so many individuals have ushered into eternity from the flames of martyrdom. May we be reminded constantly that yes, there is a cost, but it costs you far greater. So God, we love you. Help us. We trust you, lead us, guide us as we continue to make your son Jesus known both near and far. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the contribute tab.